0: We are bombarded with messages like the TikTok I just played a second ago as we scroll through our news feeds. Even conservative commentator Brandon Tatum is on record about how Jesus is not God. Years ago, broadcaster Larry King was asked if he could interview one person in all of history, who would it be? Without hesitation, he said, Jesus Christ. The follow-up was this, if you could only ask him one question, what would it be and why? Again, King did not hesitate. I would ask him if he was really born of a virgin, because the answer to that question changes everything. In other words, everything hinges on what you believe about Jesus Christ. His divinity, his humanity, his life, death, and resurrection. Are there answers? How would you answer our Muslim friend, a Jehovah's Witness, your Mormon classmate, your comedic uncle, or your favorite political commentator when it comes to the validity of the resurrection? That's just in terms of explicitly naming it. Implicitly, it shows up in other ways, when we allow habits, expectations, and hype-like sayings to undermine the power of God, that we have access to because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When expectations are flawed, they must be identified, broken, and reoriented. Today's passage is a great example of this. Mark recounts the story. When the Sabbath was over, Mary, Mary, and Salome brought spices so that they could anoint him. The women show up at the tomb where Jesus was buried and are trying to determine the best course of action for getting the stone moved, meaning they would not have been able to move it by themselves. When they showed up, the stone had been moved. The messenger they encounter directly addresses their fear. The messenger says, don't be alarmed, don't be afraid. He further addresses their hope. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. The angel calls out flawed thinking and behavior. The women, intent on their funeral errand, are preoccupied with death. They endeavor with their spices and anxieties to bring some kind of closure, however inadequate it might be to a tragic drama. But all their preparations leave them unprepared for the reality they encounter. What they intend to be a terminal visit is but a commencement. The Jesus they are looking for, enshrined in a safe place, cannot be found. The visit to the tomb is vintage, marking irony. The living are consumed with death but the crucified one is consumed with life. There are all kinds of naturalistic theories where people want proof. Naturalistic theories attempt to explain away the idea that Jesus was bodily resurrected by the supernatural power of God. These theories prefer any uh, just man-made explanation um, or even sometimes a mystical explanation, but that can be verifiable in some way over a supernatural explanation. One pushback skeptics say or that they have about the resurrection of Jesus is that the women and later the other disciples were so distraught in their grief that they showed up at the wrong tomb. Yes, they found an empty tomb, the theory says, but it was simply the wrong one. That's what skeptics say. That's what, that's what people say who say, prove it to me that Jesus really was raised from the dead. The women, they visited the place where they thought their bo- the body was laid, but there was never a body there because they were supposed to be at the wrong one. And let's be honest with the evidence. There is nothing to suggest that this is what happened with Jesus. It's an objection based on nothing. Nothing. Historians don't even buy the wrong tomb theory because those in, the, in power could have easily said, hey, let's go sh- to the right tomb and let me show you the dead body of Jesus and expose the whole false theory. Expose the hoax. When rumors of a resurrected hero started, they would have to simply roll out his body. Say, look guys, here is Jesus and he's clearly dead. You just went to the wrong tomb. End of story. End of hoax. End of Christianity. But they didn't do that because there was no body to be found. People today are still looking for this, the bones of Jesus, digging up old ossuaries in Israel and Palestine, hoping to find him. Because if they do, then it's all over. Christianity crumbles. Because unlike other religions and worldviews, Christianity is all in on the resurrection. It's not a set of teachings or a philosophy of life. It's about a historic moment, a real event that happened in history that if proven false makes the whole thing fall apart. And so people throw out this wrong tomb theory that they were, the women were distraught they knew where they were going. They were resolute at bringing the spices. The references to the place of his burial and to Jesus as the crucified one by the messenger are crucial importance. The women are not directed to a mystical or spiritual experience. They are directed specifically to Jesus, where he had laid, who died by a crucifixion they witnessed, was buried in a place they witnessed, and now has been resurrected. And they stand there in a place where he is supposed to be, but cannot find him. See, even in that culture, women were not allowed to testify in a court of law because their testimony was considered untrustworthy. So if you wanted to convince people in the ancient world that your leader was raised from the dead and you are making up the story, you don't make women the primary eyewitnesses of the resurrection. It would be counterproductive to your endeavor. And yet, here, pushing against common sense, against tradition and culture, the testimony is given by women. Mark recounts their experience. There would have been tremendous pressure to eliminate the women, Mary, Mary, and Salome, from the story. But the writers do not do that. Mark does not do that. As as if to say, here's what happened. Take it or leave it. This is just what happened. The invitation to examine his resting place by the messenger is unmistakable evidence of an empty tomb. The empty tomb does not prove the resurrection of Jesus, of course, and the New Testament never adduces it as proof of the resurrection. And so others object to the resurrection and say, "Well, the body was stolen." This isn't an original idea. It was actually the first thing the women themselves thought when told that Jesus had been raised. And the other disciples may have thought this as well. If you are slow to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, you are in good company. It's okay to bring your questions. To bring your concerns about who Jesus is, as long as you're willing to examine the facts honestly. Because that's what the early disciples first believed. Scholars point out that the resurrection narratives are trustworthy when judged by, a cri- by critical methods of historical study. And applied to all ancient writings. Because they contain unflattering content, portraying the disciples as scared, and the women in this story as scared, afraid to speak. There was no precedent for, the, for this in the ancient world, that someone was going to come back to life in the middle of time. See, it's only an encounter with a resurrected Jesus, not the fact of an empty tomb that produces faith. It's an encounter with Jesus. That produces faith. Again, we see see in verse 8, the women are dismayed. There are no exclamations, questions, or conversations of any sort. It's in abrupt objectivity that Mark reports that they left and fled the tomb, seized with fear and bewilderment. The resurrection does not magically dispel fear and cowardice. Transforming fallible human characters into faithful followers faithful followership consists of actually following jesus not contemplating doing so acting courageously on his behalf not standing on the sidelines watching faith comes from hearing the good news of Jesus' life death and coming back to life and then having a personal encounter with that same jesus it's when there's this longing in your heart that just that sometimes may just can't quite be ex explainable. I I think of a a recent just interview with a guy named Jordan Peterson who who knows the Bible backwards and forwards has used it to explain other moralistic teachings. And in a very real interview, he said, "I just I almost can't help but believe." See, it's as we begin to explore the teaching and the life of Jesus, when we come to it sincerely and honestly, being able to examine the facts, to analyze others who are trying to faithfully and sincerely follow Jesus, we cannot help but be gripped by the story. And what's so crazy is even at the close of the story, the human character's fail the divine will. See, in his earthly ministry, Jesus commanded people to silence, and they spoke. In his resurrected state, the women are commanded to speak, and they flee in silence. It's within this paradox that we begin to understand the power of the resurrected Jesus, and how that, what that means for our lives. See, the women, they expected to find a body And instead, they found a risen Christ. The resurrection indicates God's approval of Jesus. Who he is and what he said. Meaning, you now have full access and approval before God. The resurrection changes everything. The resurrection vindicated and validated Jesus' claims to be God. He is not dead. He is risen. And we must account for this in our everyday experience. The everyday person is generally expecting others in their life to have the same views, behaviors, as themselves. So when they encounter you, those who claim to be followers of Jesus, has the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, is the daily experience of Jesus changing you? Is... Because at the end of the day, it's the power of a church and our world is not in a belief and a God that makes us feel good, who we appeal to occasionally when it suits us and it helps us justify our actions. The power of the church, the power of the people of God is a daily encounter with the risen and victorious king who willingly absorbs pain and heartache in order to send life and blessing to others, who sends life and blessing to us in the same way that Jesus let death and pain into his body so that healing and hope could be brought to the world. Followers of Jesus are to At some level, let death and pain into our hearts in order to release life and blessing to others as his followers. And this is inconceivable. Let's revisit our Muslim friend for a moment. The Muslim theory, the biblical witness of Jesus' crucifixion is supposed to be false. See, God provided a substitute for Jesus, perhaps even making the person look like Jesus. Surah 4, point 157 and the Quran says they declared we have put to death the Messiah Jesus the son of Mary the apostle of Allah they did not kill him nor did they crucify him but they thought they did Muslims do not agree on who took Jesus place candidates include Judas Pilate Simon of Cyrene or even one of the disciples Muslims do not believe in Jesus bodily resurrection because they do not believe that he died on the cross instead, Surah 4.158 declares, Allah took him upon unto himself. See, as most scholars and historians write off this explanation immediately, why? Because they consider the historical context of the Roman Empire and the way uh, the Romans treated criminals. If there was one thing the Romans knew how to do, it was kill people. They would crucify up to 6,000 people on, on a single day. They didn't put guys up on the cross it, just to take them down and maybe they somehow made a mistake and come back to life. No, they put people on the cross to kill them. They made sure they were dead. The idea that Romans just messed it up is wishful thinking that does not hold up under historical scrutiny. See, it's inconceivable to our Muslim friend, that God would step out of heaven and become man and absorb the pain and the sin of wrath of of you and me upon himself to then be raised to life. See, death begets life. And there's no way in their eyes that God would do that because people should get their just due. And that's what's so amazing about the Christian belief. Is that people have access to God. That, that the, the bill was paid. Justice was due. But Jesus took it upon himself. To bring life instead. So to the prove it people, you can prove it. As I attempted to do a little bit. However, you will not ever be able to make them believe but you and i believe but yeah you you and i believe this is the the best and most important apologetic that 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 we can get them to a point where at the end of the day we can't make them believe even even if we want them to but we might be able to get them to a point where they believe that you believe what you believe Meaning, aspects of your life are so radically different from the values of our world that the hope of the resurrection cannot help but be evident in you. We have a value called story over sin where it talks about cultivating lasting relationships that discover how Jesus shapes our identity, our past, and our future rather than being defined by others or ourselves. When we begin to internalize this value and live it out, people will begin to understand that that we don't just claim some, some fact that happened in history, but actually we are transformed by it, that we are transformed by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That because of Jesus, we do not have to live with guilt or shame over our past sins or present areas of of our life that God is still working on. Because we have been given a totally new life in Christ. Therefore, we can extend forgiveness and grace to others with great courage and flexibility. We can forgive. We can extend purposeful favor. Because of Jesus, we do not need to control others' opinions of us or try to impress God with our spirituality since the Father now sees Jesus' perfect life and status when he looks at us. Therefore, we can live with deep humility, yet much gratitude, confidence, and joy. See, because of Jesus, we have nothing to earn because we're already fully loved, approved of, and valued by our Father. Therefore, we can love and serve all people, even our enemies, with no strings attached. Because of Jesus, we do not need to look to anything else for identity and purpose, since we have been reborn by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we can reorient our whole lives around the mission of Jesus to expand God's family. Mark has placed the claim in his account of Jesus' life. And it's shocking that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That God moved on your behalf. That God moved on my behalf. That that God moved on all our behalf. That he absorbed pain, suffering, sin, and death to, in exchange, provide life and blessing. The most shocking people have claimed Jesus to be God. The very fact that Mark recounts a story to his Roman audience gives them the opportunity to endure, to love and and do good works, to in the midst of a hostile culture be faithfully present, to allow the story of who Jesus is and how he moved on our behalf, uh, that he died the death that we deserved, and then was resurrected, was, was vindicated, what was validated to transform how they would live. The power of Jesus' r- resurrection enables us to give of ourselves when we cannot see a way forward. The resurrection enables us to live purposefully when it seems like we're in moments of hostility, when we, when we live in a world where it just doesn't seem like we have all the answers or even have all the information. We, the resurrection provides us hope and healing, even when we don't feel like we have all the answers. When the, when the hype fades, we break the everyday expectations with hope. We break the everyday expectations that surely you're going to treat others the way I would treat them. No, we would learn to treat others the way Jesus would treat them. That we learn to have a perspective that it's not so bound in the temporal circumstances of our world, but instead have the perspective that on the other side of death is life when we have faith in Jesus. And I think sometimes our sin stands in the way of experiencing the story. Experiencing the story of Jesus in our everyday life. And this is true whether you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time or you're simply exploring and just learning. I think there are several just sins that get in the way of us truly experiencing that story. To to experience the power of God, the the innocence, the honor that comes through faith in Jesus. Just on an everyday practical level. One is pride. You know the the saying that goes, "I, I think I'm good enough right now. And I can make it on my own. Or I was raised in the church. Therefore, I don't need to reapply the story of Jesus to my life. And I'll use my own judgment. I, I said something at one point in time. I did one action at one point in time. But I'm good now. I'm, I'm going to determine right and wrong by my own perspective. Because I've got a good enough head on my shoulders. Pride gets, us in the way, gets in the way of us truly reevaluating our life and laying it down so that we can be transformed by Jesus and his perspective. Another just sin that gets in the way is fear. That that maybe you go, I hear the story of Jesus, and, and I start to see some implications, but I'm unwilling to make the changes in my life because of who I've presented myself to be, or who I know others see me as. And when I begin to understand what Jesus is calling me to, I might have to humble myself. I might have to act courageously in a different way because I'm trying to be who Jesus sees me as rather than who I have presented myself to be. I just another one is laziness. Where you hear the story of Jesus and you see and hear what needs to be the response to who he is and what he's done, but it might just be too much work. Or it might inconvenience you. And for you workaholics who who work hard on a 9 to 5, I think this is most prevalent outside work hours. When you show up at home and you know Jesus is calling you to lay down your life for your wife or your spouse or to spend more time with your kids, but, now it's easy to play a video game. It's easy to pull up the phone or turn on the TV. Or someone texts you outside of work hours and and say, hey, I could really use some help. And you decide, nah, that's going to inconvenience me or it's not worth it. Because it might cost you something. You've adopted the viewpoint of laziness when, in reality, when we look at the pattern of Jesus, Jesus willingly puts people first. He willingly put you and I first. First, he absorbs pain and heartache and instead turns out blessing and life to others. See, we may not be able to make people believe what we believe, but I believe that every time you or I live out our faith in front of others, it's like this little backhoe getting this giant ship out of the Suez Canal. Every time you redirect a conversation from complaining to compassion, from, from the apparent sin to the bigger story, from the temporal perspective to the eternal hope, from the passive share on social media to the active advocating of an identity, of a union with, an, with Jesus, an incarnate, crucified, and resurrected God, the expectations of people get shifted. And they start to go, you're not like the church that I've heard about from a distance. You're not like the Christians that I've heard about from a distance. You're actually like the Jesus or starting to become more like the Jesus that I see in the scriptures. See, unless we routinely lay down our pride, our fear, our laziness, and maybe some sin that The Holy Spirit's convicting you of right now. Unless we routinely lay these down at the feet of Jesus, we will never break expectations of what following Jesus is about. Because see, what's so amazing is on the other side of laying these down, putting them to death, they actually bring growth and life because of the resurrection. And you can't shortcut the beauty you can't get to the growth and the opportunity and the, the blessing that's on the other side without first a death. See, when you put to death really yourself, your, the pride, the laziness, the fear, and give it to Jesus, and then willingly pick up who he is inviting you to be and become, who he says that you already are, that, that, that you allow your experience and your actions to catch up to the reality of who God already sees you as. When you do this, you see the opportunity to reset the trajectory of your life, to reset the trajectory of generations to come. And that's what our hope is. That's what my hope is for Generations Church. To every day reset the trajectory of our lives, to reset the trajectory of someone else's life, because we all return to Jesus, understand his story, who he says we are, and live out of that reality. Not being identified by our sin or our fear or our failure, instead, being identified the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus being made manifest in our lives every single day. Becoming known and sharing and telling each other a bigger story. So let's break some expectations this week. What people might expect you to do, ask the Holy Spirit. Lean in to what God is inviting you to be a part of. And be truly obedient. Truly Active, truly loving, maybe absorbing some heartache and some difficulty, and instead exchanging that and passing on blessing and.